The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to Korean True Crime with me, your host, Mimi Mizuko. I'm excited to announce that there is now a Patreon available. Patrons of the show will be mentioned each episode and get access to exclusive polls for voting on future episode topics. Patrons also gain early access to ad-free episodes and future surprise bonus content. If you can't financially support the improvement of the show, liking, subscribing, and following wherever you listen to is a great way to let me know that you like the content. You can reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook if you'd like to leave any feedback about the show. I appreciate you for listening and I'm so grateful for the support and encouragement I have received. My video podcast will still be available on YouTube for listeners who enjoy seeing media, pictures, and videos about the case. Today's episode contains a mention of suicide. Viewer discretion is advised. All names used in this case are pseudonyms selected from the most common names in South Korea. What was that? On December 2003, 34-year-old Sung Ho comes home to his apartment where he lives with his wife, 31-year-old Ha Yoon, and their two young children, 3-year-old son and a 10-month daughter. They lived in Songpa, a district that, similar to Gangnam, is an extremely wealthy area in Seoul. They'd made a pretty nice life for themselves and had a lot of friends in the community. Sung Ho was working full-time while Ha Yoon stayed at home to take care of the two children. On this day, Sung Ho came home from work like usual and took the elevator up to the seventh floor. The layout of this apartment building is very similar to a western motel where the doors are facing the parking lot with a fenced walkway around the exterior of the building. He reaches his apartment door and turns the handle. It's locked. He pats his pockets, searches his bag, but unfortunately, he had forgotten his keys that day. When he got home, his wife is usually finishing up dinner for the family, so he just knocks on the door and waits for her to answer. A few moments go by, but there's no answer to the door. So he tries ringing the doorbell, calling the house phone, but he can't reach his wife, and it seems like no one's in the apartment. Hyun may have gone out with the kids without telling him, but that was extremely unusual. So he went to their hallway window and tried to force it open between the security bars that lay across it. The window is unlocked, thankfully, and he's able to slide it open and reach his arms between the bars. Next to their door, they had a small table where they placed personal items like mail, purses, and keys. Sung Ho could just barely reach his wife's purse, which was laying on the table. He pulls it towards him with his fingertips and suddenly feels a sense of unease. If his wife had gone out with the kids, then why did she forget her purse? She always had her purse with her. He searched the bag for the house keys and found them. He unlocks the door, opens it as quick as he possibly can, and rushes to get inside to see where his wife is. 
When Sung Ho went into the apartment, he immediately saw his wife, Ha Yoon, was lying on the floor with a skirt over her head. He tried to wake his wife by shaking her shoulders, calling out her name, but when he got closer, he noticed a red mark across her neck. There was a thin clothesline string digging into the skin on her neck. It held her head above the ground. The string was tied securely around the closet door handle on the opposite side of the closed door. It appeared his wife had hanged herself on the door. Shock and grief overtook him as he continued to try to wake her, but when he couldn't, he began running to the bedrooms. Where are the children? He ran to their room, searching for them, calling out their names. When he got down the hallway, he saw that the door was already open, and he could see his three-year-old son laying on the floor with a cloth tied tightly around his neck. He checked his son, and he wasn't breathing. Nearby was his 10-month-old daughter, laying still with a black plastic bag tied over her small head. Sung-ho called the police, who arrived at the scene and were immediately suspicious of the circumstances. They took statements from Sung-ho and searched the apartment for a message, a note, a letter, something that often accompanies such a tragic incident, and they couldn't find anything. Sung-ho said that his wife had struggled with depression in the past, but hadn't had any psychotic or suicidal thoughts that he knew of. As well, the state of the house was very strange. Ingredients were set out on the counters, as if his wife was in the middle of preparing their dinner. The lead detective on the scene was hesitant to rule this a case of maternal filicide. There were just too many things that didn't add up, including that there didn't seem to be a motive for Hyun to do this. They couldn't close the case just yet. The lead detective was stuck on the fact that the method of the crime was almost too cruel for the murderer to be a mother. So let's talk about some of the motives of maternal filicide, or a mother killing her own children. As classified by Dr. Philip Resnick in 1969, Typically, when parents kill their own children, they kill their child within the child's first year. The mother may perceive killing her own child to be an act of love or mercy, as if she's saving her child from something worse than death. This is often accompanied with the mother having suicidal thoughts and depression. They'll often arrange the children's body nicely after a perceived painless method of killing, like suffocation with a pillow or poisoning with sleeping pills. It's very similar to the way the mother in Shutter Island kills her own children. Sorry, spoilers. Other forms of maternal filicide include child abuse or neglect, unwanted child filicide, psychotic filicide, in which a mother experiences psychotic or delirious state and kills her child without motive, and finally, the most rare is spousal revenge filicide, when a mother kills her child to emotionally harm the father. The lead detective had a gut feeling that something was not right here, despite that on the surface, it did appear Hyun had killed herself and her children. The other police didn't share his disbelief. There were no signs of forced injury to the apartment anywhere. Even when Sung Ho came home, the front door was locked and all of the keys that they had were inside. So it appeared no one could have entered the apartment from outside without damaging a window or a door. Sung Ho was only able to open the window, but his wife's keys were in a handbag that was in the same spot she had always left it, and the security bars meant no one could enter through the window. When investigating Ha Yoon's body, they didn't find any indications of self-defense, such as scratches on her neck where she might have tried to grab the rope that was suffocating her, or skin under her fingernails where she may have attacked her perpetrator and fought back. 
Sung-ho was insistent that his wife hadn't done this. Their children were her life and she was happy. Of course, if it had been a murder, Sung-ho was the only one who had gained entry to the apartment and that put a lot of pressure on his whereabouts during the hours prior to the crime. His alibi was concrete though, so there was no chance he was at home during the times of the incident. The police questioned everyone that lived in their apartment complex, but no one had noticed anything unusual or heard anything unusual that day. Her immediate neighbors to her left and her right hadn't even heard any noises during the time of the incident. And to be honest, I don't think I've ever noticed my neighbors coming or going from their own apartments. In my two years of living in my current apartment, I think I've seen only two of my neighbors out of dozens who live here. This case was immediately covered in the news. It would be infamously known as Korea's first locked room murder or impossible crime. This is the type of crime case that stems from a fictional detective novel in which the circumstances surrounding a crime or murder seem impossible for the criminal to not only have committed the crime, but also escaped from the scene. Stories like Edgar Allan Poe's The Murders in the Rue Morgue or Sherlock Holmes and the Adventures of the Empty House by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle are examples of this. While the mysteries in these fictional stories are riveting and present a difficult puzzle for the reader to solve alongside detectives, this case wouldn't be so impossible to solve. Modern crimes don't often happen in a vacuum, and the detective obtained the CCTV footage from the landlord. The cameras in the building focused mainly on the elevators and the main doors to the apartment complex. On the footage, they saw a woman entering the elevator from the seventh floor at the estimated time of death. The husband was able to identify this woman as Sujin, a childhood friend of his wife. Sujin was called to come in for questioning, and the lead detective sat down with her and offered his condolences about the loss of a close friend. The detective's suspicions were already aroused by this woman, but he went along with the interview as normal. He noticed that she kept holding her hands in a way that appeared as she was hiding them. He continued asking her questions about her visit, but she kept her answers incredibly vague. After confronting her with a CCTV image of her entering the elevator from the seventh floor, she became visibly uncomfortable. She crossed her arms and looked away from the image. That's when the detective saw what she was hiding, a thin red line across her index finger. Anyone can get an injury like that, but the detective suspected that she had gotten this from the clothesline wrapped around Hyun's neck. That's when the questioning turned into an interrogation, and it wasn't long after confronted with the evidence from the crime scene that Sujin confessed to murdering her friend and the two children. It seems almost impossible to imagine what could have caused her to attack her close friend and kill her young children. The detective needed to find motive for such a heinous crime. Sujin was now being cooperative, and the detective asked about her and Hyun's history together. Hyun and Sujin went to high school together, but they'd fallen out of touch after graduating until a popular website called Damo Im opened in 2001, two years prior to the incident. The website's very similar to the original purpose of Facebook. It was advertised as a social media website where alumni and current students could reconnect or chat with one another. When Hyun joined the site, she saw her long-lost friend had already made an account. They quickly began chatting and became close again, as if no time had passed whatsoever. Sujin wasn't married and didn't have many hobbies that took a lot of her time, so she was messaging Hyun often. As they grew closer, Sujin began visiting Hyun a few times a week to see her one-year-old son and to just hang out. 
Sujin had inserted herself into Sung Ho and Ha Yoon's life, as if she had been adopted by them. Ha Yoon was inviting her over often and even cooked meals for her regularly. Of course, their friendship had its up and downs, as Sujin's jealousy of Ha Yoon made her begin to resent her friend. She wanted a loving husband. She wanted children. She wanted a perfect life, but she felt like she was alone and she was angry about it. She began sending passive-aggressive texts to Ha Yoon to bring down her self-esteem. She would criticize Ha Yoon for her parenting styles and would criticize her for marrying too young. She wasn't a very good friend in my opinion, and I'm not sure why Ha Yoon kept talking to her. Ha Yoon had other friends who were more supportive, who were kinder, and who she was closer to. But maybe she felt bad for her high school friend. Sujin had a difficult life after high school, and she didn't have much of her own. Unbeknownst to Ha Yoon, Sujin had a history of this kind of jealous behavior. Sujin's obsessive, selfish, and paranoid behavior began when they were in high school together. Sujin had an innocent crush on a high school teacher of hers, but when her feelings weren't reciprocated, she began harassing the teacher. She had stalked this teacher online and in person for six years until giving up. During this time, she'd send messages to him telling him, I don't know why a good man like you got married so early. It's unknown what made her finally leave him alone, but she had to create a reality in her mind where she was finally happy and with a successful man, which often meant she wanted to replace their current wife. Single men just weren't selling the fantasy she wanted. She wasn't interested in building a happy life for herself. She didn't want to go from point A dating to point B marriage. She just wanted to begin at point C as a happily married couple with kids. And she had found a new target of her obsession, Ha Yoon's husband, Sung Ho. She already had his contact information and began slyly reaching out to him, feeding him the same lines she fed to the teacher. You shouldn't have settled so young. However, unlike the time that she flirted with her teacher, this time her advances were welcomed. Sujin and Sung Ho began to have an affair in January 2003. That's 12 months before the incident occurred. Keep in mind that Ha Yoon is now eight and a half months pregnant with their second child as Sung Ho starts his affair with her best friend. Sujin had then inserted herself into our fantasy successfully, so there's no turning back at this point. She was going to get the life she wanted because, in her mind, that was her husband, and Ha Yoon was just an obstacle in her way, preventing her from being happy. Neither Sung Ho or Sujin would admit to the extent of their affair, but 10 months later, in October, Sujin's jealousy would overwhelm her, and she had to ruin their marriage. She'd waited long enough to separate them and was getting impatient that the life she deserved wasn't happening. She sends a text to Ha Yoon saying, Even if you have two children and live so nicely, in the end, your life is an empty shell. Your husband is my man after all. Of course, this created a big rift in the relationship between Sung Ho and Ha Yoon. He denied the accusations of the affair vehemently and said that this was just all a big misunderstanding. Sung Ho was furious with Sujin's actions and later that day, Ha Yoon got another text saying, I'm so sorry, that was meant for a girl who was flirting with my boyfriend. She pled her innocence, but we know behind the scenes that she was relishing in the heartbreak she had just caused. Not many couples can bounce back from the betrayal of cheating on your pregnant wife with her closest childhood friend. And Ha Yoon lashed back. She texted her friend, do you want to do to me what your mother suffered from with your father? 
which we can only assume was a story told in secrecy between friends. She said that to hurt Sujin the same way she herself was hurting. I don't blame her. In Sujin's head, however, Sungho was her man and Hayoon did not deserve him. Sungho never stopped denying that he cheated on her, but she decided to snoop in on his texts and watch his comings and goings from work but she didn't have any evidence that her husband wasn't telling her the truth. Their daughter was eight months old at this point, and they had a three-year-old son. She didn't want to get a divorce. Divorce isn't an easy option to this day in South Korea, and it's almost unheard of if you have children together. Divorce is handled in a very interesting way. I can't speak to how divorce is like where you live, but if you want to let me know how it compares, send me a message on any of my socials at Korean True Crime. In Korea, when a spouse is unfaithful, there are two ways to get a divorce, at-fault and no-fault divorce. At-fault is when the unfaithful person seeks the divorce. No-fault is when the person who was cheated on files for the divorce. No-fault divorce is pretty straightforward and often is granted without any court proceedings. Adultery isn't a crime in South Korea since the Constitutional Court struck down the 1953 law that made it a crime in 2015. They reason that individuals have the right to sexual self-determination and it's the individual's free choice to maintain their marriage but I'm still waiting on the anti-discrimination law towards LGBT people. When the unfaithful person files for the divorce on the grounds that they left the marriage or they found someone new, the courts almost always deny the divorce without mutual agreement from the spouse. The Supreme Court said that the spouse that is responsible for the breaking up the marriage cannot file for divorce because it violates the principle of good faith and due to gender inequality in South Korea, it often is very difficult for women to support themselves and raise children after divorce. So they now require mutual consent for at-fault divorces. Cheaters can't just leave behind their family because they want to. It's an interesting situation for sure, and I'm sure it's very case by case. So back to Hyun and her situation. She would be able to get a divorce and maybe would get alimony if only she could prove her husband cheated on her. Of course, this probably isn't the situation she wanted and that's the only option she had for an easy divorce. So she's busy taking care of their two kids. Her husband is every day denying that he cheated on her and she isn't able to find any proof otherwise. Hyun decides that she will just believe them both. Maybe it was just a big misunderstanding. She knew Sujin was jealous and definitely would text something like that to a girl, but she hadn't even known Sujin was dating someone. She kept her suspicions and never let her guard down, but she apologized to Sujin and her husband and essentially wanted her life to go back to normal. I think this decision was probably very hard for Hayun because she knew that text was meant for her. It mentioned her two children. So I think she did what she thought was best for her and her family, and that was keeping her family together. In November 2003, just a month before the incident, Hayun let Sujin come and visit her more often and see the baby. She wanted to have her life return to how it was before. She didn't have a job, no major savings, and two young children. Getting a divorce would be incredibly difficult for her and her kids. Most likely, she would have to live with her family, but the stigma of being divorced is very hard to overcome. And how would that affect her children's lives? Sujin, however, had been planning to get rid of Hayun for months even before sending her that fake accidental text message. We know all of this because she kept detailed, annotated diaries of her every thought in relation to Hyun. 
journalists at SBS who host a true crime news channel called Google Si Algo Shipta, I Want to Know That, were able to read some of these entries. Within her journals, she made diagrams of the Hayun residence and how she would kill Hayun and her two children. Unfortunately, as intriguingly twisted as those journal entries are, the only image of them is badly distorted from its airing on television in 2003. The drawings are still easy to see, but the writing is incomprehensible. From what is described about her journal entries, she talks a lot about previous suicide attempts and wanting to end her life before the end of 2003. In Sujin's journal, she had written up multiple contingency plans for how she would kill the family. She had thought about all of the risks involved for her to be caught or for her to be stopped. But in December, just a week before the incident, Hayun calls Sujin and asks her for a favor. She asked to borrow some money so that she could do something with her kids, but I couldn't find out exactly what she needed the money for. Hayun and Sungho had money. I think she just needed the extra spending money before the next paycheck came in, so she asked Sujin to lend her close to $1,000. Sujin agreed to lend her the money, knowing damn well she wasn't going to give her it. The next week comes around, and Sujin visits Hayun to lend her the money. Hayun is extremely appreciative and keeps promising she'll pay it back. She thanks her over and over as if Sujin had just saved her life. Hayun invites her inside, but Sujin tells her that she has to go do some things before she can play with the kids, and immediately went to go collect her thoughts and prepare for what she was about to do next. When Sujin comes back, the family is watching TV and Sungho is still at work. Sujin tells the son, let's put on a surprise puppet show for your mom. Let's go set it up in your room. It'll be so fun. The boy is super excited and follows her to the room. Sujin requests that Hayun turns up the TV so she doesn't hear them preparing the script. She grabs her bag quietly and puts on a pair of gloves that older women often wear in South Korea. She's grabbing towels from Hyun's bathroom, plastic bags from the kitchen, and says, No peeking, Hyun. She's thinking ahead about leaving fingerprints, and the towels and bags are from Hyun's own house. She knew exactly how to get the son away from his mom as well. Sujin said she told the three-year-old boy to lay down and that she would prepare him for the game. She puts a cloth over his face and pushes a towel inside his mouth forcefully and begins to suffocate the boy. A kid that small can't possibly overpower a 30-year-old person, and after a moment he stops moving. She places him in a large wardrobe and closes the door until she thinks she hears the boy grasping for air. So she went back and strangled the child again until she was sure he wasn't breathing. It's possible that he hadn't died the first time, but it's also possible that she's extremely paranoid and in the worst part of her psychosis. Sujin closed the closet door to hide the boy's body and returned to Hayun, who is watching TV less than 30 feet down the hallway from where her son had just died. I got chills just thinking of how evil someone must be to murder a child and then go back to their parent and pretend nothing had happened at all. She would say to Hayun, we need more time to prepare. We're just getting ready. You're going to love it. It's so cute. He's so excited. Hayun's sitting with her baby on the couch and watching TV. Sujin collects a chair and quietly brought it to the hallway closet. 
The closet is just out of sight of the living room, so she quietly put the chair inside the closet and stepped up on top of it. She had prepared this plastic water bottle contraption that she cut into a hook shape, which she placed over the top of the door where it closes to increase her pulling leverage. The police would also discover dozens of prototypes of this contraption in Sujin's apartment. She had meticulously planned this murder. Sujin closes the closet door with the clothesline over the top, just the right amount peeking out so that she can grab it and pull it down easily. She tells Hyun, okay, he's ready for you, but you need to wear a blindfold so you don't see it too soon before the show starts. She places a skirt with an elastic waist around Hyun's forehead so she can't see anything. And Hyun, being an excited mom to see her adorable three-year-old put on a play, goes along with it. Now that she can't see, Sujin puts on rubber gloves and leads Hyun towards the closet. The skirt, Sujin would say, was very purposeful. Instead of a blindfold, she determined the skirt was the best choice because it not only blinded Hyun, but it prevented her from feeling the clothesline being carefully placed around her neck. By the time the clothesline was secured on Hyun's neck, Sujin was in the closet, gripping the clothesline with rubber gloves and jumping off of the chair with all of her weight. Sujin's only comment about what happened next was that she was surprised, surprised at how much Hyun struggled against the door. She waited a really long time, crouching and holding that string as tight as she could while her once friend died against the closet door. Sujin calmly walked out of the closet and changed out her rubber gloves for new ones in the kitchen. She tied the clothesline to the door handle at the perfect height that looked as if Hyun hanged herself. Coldly, she moved on to the 10-month baby baby in the living room, which I'm describing how Sujin horrifically murdered, but trust me, I'm leaving out most of the unnecessarily cruel details about how she treated these children as she killed them. She wasn't just killing them as a way to get rid of them, as a way to fulfill her delusions. It seemed as if she was almost enjoying it with how little remorse she would show and the smirks she would give when describing how she killed the children. For the 10-month-old baby, she placed a plastic bag she had taken from Hyun's kitchen and tied it over the baby's head, then took one of the kitchen towels that was wound around a knitting needle to twist the towel tighter and tighter around the infant's neck. The baby, of course, died at Sujin's hand. Sujin wanted people to believe that Hyun had killed her children and herself. So when she exited the apartment, she locked the door with Hyun's key, opened the unlocked window, and placed the key back inside her purse. Too many of the true crime cases that are often the most frustrating involve police just not doing their jobs well enough. In this instance, it's because of the detectives following through that Sujin was found and arrested so quickly. Even after Sujin's arrest, however, she never expressed remorse or recognized that what she did was wrong. After dropping the mournful friend act, Sujin immediately showed how she truly felt. She was resolute that Hyun and her children deserved to die and that she had done nothing wrong. They were the problem, taking away the life she deserved. To her, Hyun brought this fate upon herself. In the early 2000s, mental health wasn't taken into account when sentencing criminals, so there was no distinction between someone who could grasp reality and consequences and a person who couldn't comprehend wrongdoing. Usually, this distinction leads to specialized sentencing, so people with certain mental illnesses or disabilities can get psychiatric treatment or rehabilitation 
rehabilitation. And during this time, psychopathic personality disorders were not recognized in South Korea until the following year in 2004 when Yoo Young-chul was arrested, who I've covered previously on my YouTube and may revisit for a future podcast episode. In Soojin's case, she was later determined to have Ripley's syndrome, which is a term used in South Korea for a person living with delusions. The term comes from the character Tom Ripley from the talented Mr. Ripley, a series of novels by Patricia Highsmith. The character lives with a distorted reality that's a figment of their own imagination. They use others to achieve their goals, and they feel no sympathy towards the victims that they kill. Ripley's syndrome is not used by psychologists, but is used to describe a specific form of delusion that people who have antisocial personality disorder can go through. In essence, this describes Sujin's denial of reality. It's unlike someone who lies because someone who has Ripley syndrome believes their lie and they have extreme difficulty when confronted with the truth. People who have antisocial personality disorder are often impulsive, reckless, and disregard their own and other safety. They can have difficulty forming emotional bonds and may only form relationships with others as a way to exploit them for personal gain. I take this definition from the DSM-5. The prognosis of Sujin's antisocial personality disorder isn't definitive, as these conclusions were made by psychologists who had never been in the same room as her. Ha Yun's family sought the death penalty for the three heinous murders, but the judge sentenced Sujin to life in prison, hopefully to someday feel remorse. As for Sung Ho, while he continued to deny all of the accusations of the alleged affair he had with Sujin, the detectives were able to get him to confess to his infidelity. It's true, he never could have imagined Sujin would take their dalliance to such a horrific ending, but now he has to live with the haunting thoughts about the part his own mistakes played into the murder of his wife and children. In the end, this wasn't truly an impossible crime, but could have been, if not for the minor mistake Sujin made with the injury to her hand. If not for that, the police might have thought Hayun had killed herself and her kids because of the alleged affair, or just after a psychotic break. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Before I go, make sure you follow Korean True Crime on Facebook or Instagram to get updates about the show. If you enjoy the content, be sure to give us a rating or review wherever you listen to and hit that follow button so you can tune in next time. See you next time.